We will be in Colossians 1, 21 through 33. We're actually going to go back a little bit and review some things, but that's where we'll be this morning. Let's pray. Lord, now as we open your word, please, I ask you to open our hearts. Help us to see, help us to understand, help us to grasp the truth that's here. And Lord, help us not just to take it in as an intellectual exercise, but Lord, we pray that the truth would be something that grabs a hold of our hearts and motivates us throughout the week to seek to know you better and to live for you. And so we commit this time into your hands. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And by the way, that song from Colossians was awesome. And I assume you're going to add verses as we go through the book. So just keep adding them in there. We sang that and I thought, wow, you cannot capture better than what we've been studying so far. So maybe you have heard the, someone say something like this. I've got good news and bad news for you. Which do you want first? You hope the good is really, really good, don't you, at times like that? Um, Also, you know, there's a contrast when we think about good and bad. Um, Good news, bad news. Matter of fact, uh, I, I went back and found a good news, bad news kind of a skit that we used to do at camp. And that just kind of to get us thinking through the good and the bad, kind of. Um, guy comes and says, hey, have you heard my news? No. Well, my uncle passed away. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. How come? Well, he left me $50,000. That's good. No, that's bad. How come? Well, the IRS took half of it. So I only had 25000 left. Well, that's bad. No, 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 that's good. How come? Well, I bought an airplane and learned to fly. Well, that's good. No, that's bad. How come? Well, I was flying it and I turned it upside down and fell out of the darn thing. <clears throat> well, that's bad. No, that's good. I, I looked down and there was a huge haystack right below me. Well, that's good. No, no, that's bad. I looked a little closer and there was a pitchfork aiming right up at me. That's bad. No, no, that's good. I missed the pitchfork. Well, that's good. No, that's bad. I missed the haystack. Oh, mercy. When you think about the good news and the bad news, when you think about the gospel, that's a reality. There's a huge contrast between the bad news and the good news of God's Word. So let's, uh, as we get into this morning, I want us to be thinking through in those terms. What's the good news in this and what's the bad news in this? The good news is that the gospel had spread and that Epaphras had taken the gospel to Colossae and he had planted a church there. That was great news. People were saved and they were meeting together. The bad news is that some false teachers kind of got into things there and started disseminating some falsehoods. And and it was starting to impact the church in some ways. And so Epaphras travels to Rome to meet with Paul and to hear from Paul what can I do about this? This is what they're saying. These are the kinds of things they believe. And so Paul writes the letter of Colossians to address specifically the heresy that was kind of starting to creep in. Now, many people say this is Gnosticism. It's a little bit early for full-blown Gnosticism, but it has elements of that. So as we're, as we're looking at these things, I'll be mentioning some of the things the false teachers were teaching and understand that later on, hundred years later or so, Gnosticism was huge, and it was a big thing that they were battling all the time. Um, but to show that the local beliefism was twisted, that was one of the big reasons he wrote. And so Colossians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. 
Isn't that awesome? He says, this is, this is what's happened. Our Lord, our Savior rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, transferred us into the kingdom of God. We went from the worst kind of news to the best kind of news. And <clears throat> he goes on to say, he transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and that He, he um, died and after three days in the grave He rose again and after 40 days He ascended into heaven. That's the gospel. That's the power of God. That's the good news which we proclaim. So let's jump in. We're going to start at 19 again because we covered that, but I thought, you know what, there's more here. So let's go back to 19. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. All His fullness, the sum total of everything, His divine power, His attributes, all of that is what He's referring to. Now it's interesting, I didn't know this until I really dug into it a little bit more this week, the false teachers of that time frame used that same word for fullness, but they used it to describe all of the small little gods and, and all of the things that they taught and believed. So when they said fullness, they were talking, oh yeah, well there's this pantheon of little gods out there, and that's what we refer to as fullness. Well, Paul takes the word and brings it back and says, listen, all the fullness of God is in Christ. And he's saying, there is no other little gods out there. There is one, and that's in that Christ. And God is in Christ, and we see that. And so the whole idea of all his fullness dwells in him means the whole idea of being at home permanently. Uh, this isn't something that's added to Christ and then subtracted. He is in Christ. He dwells in him permanently. And, and then it says God was pleased that all of his fullness was permanently in Christ. Verse 15, if you remember, 115 said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You see Christ, you're seeing God. That's the whole point he's trying to make. He's trying to say, the fullness of God is found in Jesus Christ. And so we proclaim Christ, and that's where he's going with that. Now, the false teachers of the day thought that Jesus could not be both God and man. They were talking about that, and they would say, well, matter is, is not really good. Matter is evil, or, or matter is, is, is a negative thing, whereas the spiritual, well, that's where the good stuff is. And so Jesus couldn't be human with a body and everything, because if he was, well, then there'd be some bad stuff there, but he could be a spiritual a spiritual being. He could be someone who was only spiritual. And that was one of the things that they were teaching. And yet, Paul is making very clear that that isn't all that there is to this. And so, for God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And so, he goes on in verse 20. He says, um, you know, God pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through that same Christ to reconcile um, to himself all things. Reconcile the whole idea that God is, is the one who is reconciling us to him. We're not trying to reconcile him to us. That doesn't work. And so he is the one who reconciles us to him. And, and he reconciles all things. And, and all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
probably referring basically to the angelic hosts, the good angels, and to the earthly human beings that he's speaking about um, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is an interesting um, definition for reconciliation that I came across. Reconciliation is to cause God's enemies, and by the way, that's all of us. We were enemies of his. So to cause God's enemies by faith to become his friends and his family. So when we are reconciled, we go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. We go from being an enemy of God to being a son or a daughter, or a brother and a sister to, to our Lord. Romans 5.1 puts it this way, We have been justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul's writing to Colossians, he said, Hey, all things are reconciled to him, and he's made peace with these things through the bloodshed on the cross. So he's talking about that whole idea of we are justified when we place our faith and trust in Christ, and at that point in time, we then have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the false teachers taught that Jesus Christ was just human and had no body. But Paul makes it clear that that's not the case. For Peter does too, First Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so the false teachers were pushing that. Uh, God was human flesh, and, and, or, and he was not human flesh. He was a spirit being only. And, and Paul is just attacking that. Just boom, boom, boom. Uh, just very, very clear. All of these verses talking about how we are reconciled to God through the death on, of Christ on the cross means that he had to have a body for that to all take place. Now, there's a quote here. When he died on the cross, he, Jesus met the just demands of the law. He paid the penalty for our sins. So reconciliation took place on the cross. And again, justice is satisfied by the death of Christ. That's why we can be forgiven. That's why we can enter into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. Because when, when we believe that Jesus died for us, we become, we become reconciled at that point in time. Just an implication here. Take a few minutes to go through this together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, reconcile all things. That's something that people kind of discuss. And on the one level, all things include sinners, it would include angels. Some people feel, and they get this from Romans 8.20, that he's also referring to the fact that down the road, the curse will be lifted, and that will reconcile even the earth and the universe itself to God at that point in time. And so that's, if you think about the curse and all that came as a result of the curse, that will be taken away at some point down the road. So when it says he reconciles all things, yes, it's people, it's angels, but down the road it will also be creation itself. So how can a holy God ever be reconciled with sinful men and women? That's really the question that I want to take a couple of minutes to talk through. Um, will God lower his standards so we can have a relationship with him? We say, well, you know what? I, I really want you to be perfect and holy in every way, but, eh, you know, no, God doesn't lower his standards. Does he compromise with sin? No, God doesn't do that either. Well, maybe we can work really, really hard and we can please God in some way and 
No, it doesn't work. Well, maybe if we're good enough, we can earn the right to be reconciled. And no, the answer is no. So the bad news is really bad. The bad news is terrible. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of any relationship with Him. All have sinned and fall short of any opportunity to have a relationship with Him, and then they will be punished eternally. So there's, there's not one person anywhere ever that has not fallen short of God's standards. Not one person. The most godly person you know falls short. And that's something we always have to go back to. If we are left to ourselves to make this all happen, there's no hope. None whatsoever. If we are left to ourselves to sort this all out, all this happens is the news gets worse. The bad news gets even worse. Romans 6.23, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And 3.23, 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What do we earn with our sin? Death. That's what he's saying. The wages of sin is death. The end that everyone who is not reconciled to God will receive is physical death and then eternal death, the separation from God and and eternal torment in that separation from God in hell. That's what happens when the wages of sin, just nothing is taken care of there. But the good news is in that same verse. For the wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And and, and <clears throat> if you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, 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 I've heard all this stuff before, just kind of bear with me because I think it's important for us to think of it in those terms. This is the horrible bad news We're destined to die and be eternally separated from God in hell. If there's no good news, that's where we all go. But the good news is, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how are are we reconciled to God? Well, it's through the free gift that He offers. He offers the free gift of eternal life. And how does He do that? It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can we enter the presence of a holy God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe? How how do we do that? Only through the gift of God, eternal life and the forgiveness which he gives us in Jesus Christ. Um, The good news continues. It gets even better. Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified through faith, in other words, we, we put our trust in the fact that Jesus promised that if we believe that when he died, he was paying for our sins. When we believe that, then we are justified. God declares us righteous in his sight. So since we have been justified through faith by believing that Jesus said, we have peace with God, again, through Jesus Christ. Peace with God. In other words, we're not at odds with him. We are not his enemy. We have been reconciled, and because we are reconciled, we have peace with the God of the universe, and it's through Jesus Christ and the death that he paid for the price of our sins on the cross. 
So we're justified through faith, and it means that we look to Jesus and the cross, and we believe that He died for us. And when we believe that Jesus died for us, then that's when we are reconciled. And in that moment, as we're putting our faith and trust in Jesus and what He did for us, we realize there's only one sacrifice that could pay the price, and that was the death of Christ. And the good news gets even better. Romans 8.1 we believe that Jesus died for our sins. We put our faith and trust in Him to save us. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been reconciled. We are, we are brothers and sisters of Christ. We are in Christ and Christ is in us because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Remember when Israel was traveling to the promised land, at one point they had become really rebellious and they were complaining and, and God was really getting tired of it all. So at one point he sent poisonous snakes in to the people of Israel. And you remember what happened, of course, many were dying. They would get bit, they'd get sick, then they'd die. So finally, finally they cry out to God and God tells Moses, you need to make a serpent of bra- bronze, a brass serpent, put it on a pole in the middle of the camp, and people who look at the serpent will be healed. Okay? Now stop and think of what he's saying here, okay? It's not that the serpent has any magical, mystical powers, but it's that people who go and look at the snake are believing God's promise. If I look at the serpent on the pole, God said he'd heal me. Now, it took that effort, though, didn't it? It, Somebody on the other side of the camp could have said, well, I believe it, but God said, go do this. This is what you have to do. And as we think about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, we need to always be remembering. We need to turn our eyes to Christ, and we need to believe that He was on that cross for us. And we, in believing we receive that forgiveness He offers. So the bad news is horrible. The wages of sin is death. But the good news, well, when we believe in Jesus, that Jesus died for us, we're justified and we have peace with God. And there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's the first two verses that lead us right into verse 21. And Paul says this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your midst, in your minds because of your evil behavior. And so this is, again is the bad news, isn't it? Once you were alienated from God, you were cut off, you were estranged, you had no relationship. So you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. So internally, on the thought level, you were an enemy of God. And because of your evil behavior. So again, this is the external. So we are enemies of God in our thoughts and enemies of God in our behavior. Wearsby puts it this way. By our nature, we are separated from God. By our sin nature, that we're born separated from God. By our deeds, we are alienated from God. So not only does our sin nature separate us from God, but the way we behave and the things that we think about, those kind of things separate us and alienate us from God. The sinner is dead in trespasses and sins and therefore unable to do anything to save himself. And so that is, again, stop and think about it, the whole idea that we were this, and that is the bad news where we lived. 
Verse 22 takes us back to the good news. But now he has reconciled you. So he went from being dead in sins to being alive in Christ when he reconciled us. And how did he reconcile us? By Christ's physical body through death. And, and Christ's death on the cross, the price for our sins was paid. And that's how he's able to present us as holy in his sight. And then we're talking about, if you want to speak of it theologically, that's positional justification that we are in Christ and we are perfect in God's sight because that is what has happened. Sanctification, that daily process of becoming more and more like Jesus, that's a much longer story, isn't it? And we will be working on that until the Lord takes us home. But we are in Christ positionally and we're just justified freely because of God's grace. So he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and that's the whole idea of being blameless and without fault, forgiven and declared righteous by God, without blemish and free from accusation. You've ever been accused of something and you actually did it, you know how horrible that feels. To be accused of something you didn't do, that can also be something that feels pretty bad. But the reality here is no one will be able to stand in heaven and accuse us of anything. Because we're clean before God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's an incredible thing. That's an amazing thing. Romans 8.33 says this, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? The answer, nobody. Nobody can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen. Those who have believed on Him and have been saved. It is God who justifies. And if God justifies us, that's done. It's not going to get undone. Now the false teachers said that because Jesus was just a spirit being only, um, you know, all the stuff about the fullness of God being in Christ was something. They, they just didn't want to have to deal with that. But God was saying, hey, Jesus is God. Yes, he's human and he's God. It's both things at the same time in a way that we don't understand because we, we aren't on that level of capacity to think those things through. But we can take it by faith that God says, I'm in Christ and Christ um, paid the price and therefore you come through him. And you're made holy. I love that. No one can accuse us or charge us because we are justified by faith. So again, just kind of remember what the false teachers were saying, that Jesus died on a cross. Jesus didn't die on a cross because he was a spirit being. He had no body. And yet it's very clear here, and then we look at John 1.14, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you've got John also saying, hey, this is what we know. This is the truth. First Peter, he said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Again, just that whole statement of, and, 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 and Paul is setting this all up so that when the false teachers try to say something, the Colossians have it right there in their hand. No. Look at what it says here. You're wrong. 
Jesus is fully human and fully God. Now, Christ had to come in the flesh. One of the reasons for that is that spirits don't die. Uh, And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so when you think about the perfect Lamb of God that had to be sacrificed, He had to have a physical body to go through all of that. So if you, as a Gnostic or as someone who is just getting into that frame of mind, you're thinking through these things and and you can't reconcile those things. How could Jesus die on a cross and shed His blood for us, which was required, if He didn't have a body? And so, again, Paul is hammering. I mean, he's doing it subtly, but the people who were the false teachers sitting out there, they they got it. They understood what was being said. And so did the Colossians. Jesus had to have a real body so that he could die and so that he could be raised from the dead. And, And all of that was required. Now, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6, gives us this other wonderful part to all of this. For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men. So there's one God, Jesus Christ, and He's the mediator between God and between men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. And so there, again, just kind of be reading it in light of the fact that Paul's got some things he's trying to address. Uh, this Jesus uh, not being fully human, all those kinds of issues were coming through. And um, Paul, in this, these verses here, has just hammered it. And then he goes on to finish this, this little section here with, um, so uh, he has reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. And then he says, if. What? If? What, what's going on here? If you continue in your faith. So now there are some people who will take that and they will say, well, you see, you get saved, but then you've got to work really hard to keep it. That's not what Paul was saying here. Matter of fact, as I understand it, what Paul was saying here in that, in the context of that word if in the Greek language, it's a structure that Paul was saying it in such a way that there's no doubt of the outcome. So Paul was saying, if you continue in your faith, and I expect that you will because you are in Christ and He is in, He is in you, um, then you just need to keep on going. You need to keep on trusting. There's no doubt in Paul's mind here. He's not saying that they had to continue in order to hang on to it. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, if you continue, and I know you will, because Christ is in you and the power of the Spirit is in you. So if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved. So he's talking about the solid foundation that they have and and the settled and secure faith that they have. And he says, if you continue your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So you have a hope that you've been holding on to. Keep hanging on. It's a promise, and it's a promise made by God, and God doesn't break his promises. So hang on to that hope of the gospel. And then he goes on, This is the gospel that you heard, the whole idea of reconciliation given to everyone who believes, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. It's a figure of speech. He isn't saying that every person in the whole world had already heard the gospel. He's simply saying everywhere the gospel goes, it's spreading like crazy. And of which I, Paul, have become a servant. 
Amazing. What an incredible statement as, as Paul gets to the end of this little section and he hammers away at the, at the false teachers and then gives hope as well uh, to, to the Colossians. What do we take away from this? Verse 22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Positionally, where are we? We are in Christ, and we are holy and pure, and, 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 and we're welcome, and we are received because of what Christ did for us. Not anything we could have done, but when we believed in Jesus Christ, we have His righteousness imputed to us. And like I said, God looks down. He doesn't see Mark with all the mess that he is. He sees He sees Mark, pure and holy, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are, <clears throat> we are reconciled through death of Christ so that we can be presented as holy in His sight, so that we can live because our lives are blameless and without fault before God and because we are free from all accusation. God does not see Mark Kieft <clears throat> with all of his struggles and fears. He doesn't look at me and he's not embarrassed by me. You ever wondered if God was embarrassed by you because of the things that you say or do? He's not. Through the death of Christ Jesus, when I put my faith and trust in Him, He did for me on the cross what I couldn't do for myself. He reconciled me to God. So now God sees me as holy and blameless because He's seeing through the sacrifice of Christ. There's an old song we used to sing in my church, God sees my Savior and then He sees me. And I think that's reality that Paul is teaching here. On a number of occasions, I've had the, to attend formal functions, which I didn't really want to go to in most cases. Um, I, my wife's shaking her head. <clears throat> the fancier the function was, the harder it was for me to really want to go at all. Many times I think I was afraid that the way I spoke or the way that I uh, dressed would be something that would be looked down upon or be an embarrassment to the people who were having the function. I remember one time I actually had not been told the dress code. I had no idea what the dress code was. And um, I showed up and as I walked in the door, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble because everybody was wearing ties and sports coats and really nice clothes. And I came in with my jeans and tie-dye t-shirt. Ah, yeah. (laughs) I was so grateful when that was all over with. You ever felt like that? You know what the reality is? We stand before God, we don't have to feel that. Once, Once we've been reconciled, we have the right to enter His presence. We have been invited to come to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. 
He never says, "Uh uh-uh, you're not welcome today. No, we're told to come. If I can get through this, I'm going to read some some words to uh, a song that just kind of really, I think, ties this all together. I love it when songs are theologically rich, and this one is. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me to depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of a guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look at him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. We can rejoice because we have been reconciled. And because we're reconciled to God, we're forgiven and we're pure and clean. And he sees us through our Savior And someday, what he sees will be the reality because we'll be with him. And when we see him, we will be like he is. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word and for the power of your word. Thank you that you are there working constantly, encouraging, challenging, helping us to remember the promises that you've made. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming, for living, and for dying for us. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.